Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapira, the Dean of the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to highlight the work my colleagues and alumni in the fields of policy, planning, and health are doing. Today, we are going to continue a tradition that we've had for a number of seasons for the EJB Talks podcast, and we're going to conclude this season by talking politics. And instead of being the host, I will step over and be the guest. And in a special treat, we have brought back former producer Amy Cobb to ask me a few questions about politics um, so that we can make this a conversation rather than me talking for 20 minutes. Yeah, Amy, I don't know why back. I came back. I don't know why I came back for this one because it's awful. 2023. <laughs> I'm so glad to be back, Stuart. It has been a difficult several months, and I really sort of blame your leaving Blaustein for the, for the state of our politics. Right I'm now. so glad that I had that much <laughs> influence on American politics. Uh, yeah, this one was tough to... I, I was excited to come back, so thank you. As an alum, you know I, I love this podcast. Um, this has been a pretty um, awful couple of, well, it's been a pretty awful year for politics. When I was doing my research, I can honestly tell you the article titles were The Awful Politics of 2023, <laughs> Chaos, and 2023. I mean, nothing's been real positive. So uh, maybe we'll take it as a learning experience and uh, hope that 2024 is better. <laughs> Let's hope. All right. So, you know, considering this all started many years ago with your not normal uh, series that turned into a book that turned into this podcast, um, let's talk about this not normal 2023. Um, So let's talk about the first most fun part of it all. And that was uh, the house and the political chaos that began January 1st and has kind of maintained its craziness until right now. Yeah, the House has been something else this year, and certainly it's been a unique year in congressional history. The Senate is, continues to function pretty much as it always has. I mean, they are very normal, capital N, really. Um, but the House is another story entirely. Um, we talked back in the spring about Kevin McCarthy and his devil's bargain um, to become Speaker of the House. And I think the devil came back for payment much sooner than uh, than Representative McCarthy had counted on. And he's and, leaving now. And now he is leaving Congress altogether. Um, and so in October, the uh, there was a vote on his removal prompted by Representative Matt Gates of Florida, who has a very intensely personal beef with uh, Representative McCarthy. Um, And eight Republicans joined all of the Democrats to oust McCarthy from the speakership. What followed was a several week period that mirrored the chaos of January as they strove to select a speaker that 
all of the Republicans could agree on, and their majority is so slim they needed virtually all the Republicans to agree in order to choose a speaker. And we came out of that with a relatively junior member, Mike Johnson of Louisiana, um, someone who is very, very conservative, um, certainly further right on the political spectrum than McCarthy was. Um, and, uh, and he, uh, now has the unenviable job of trying to survive as speaker for 14 months. Um, I'm not sure whether he'll make it because he eventually will face the same choice McCarthy did, which is you either pass a budget with democratic help or you shut the government down. And either one of those could lead to his ouster. And so he will have something of a very difficult choice to make in January and February when Congress reconvenes after the new year and has to, again, pass a budget. Um, what happens then, I have no idea, um, but we'll see. Meanwhile, the debate over funding Ukraine, Israel, and border security is caught up at the moment. It is caught up in the Senate, actually. Um, and uh, even if a compromise is reached in the Senate, which, make no mistake about it, will include some border security measures, I think that many of us would find objectionable. Um, but that's the price of compromise in a divided government. Isn't there um, a rule that nobody's happy with at least relatively decent policy. We're not even to decent policy. We just need something done. Yeah, and uh, and it's uh, and I don't know whether whatever passes the Senate can pass Mike Johnson's house. Um, Johnson is not in favor of funding uh, U.S. funding of Ukraine in particular, um, and so he would like to strip that out of this deal. Um, I'm not optimistic that any of those things will get done. Um, I think in, if it doesn't get done before early to mid-January, they're going to have to return to the overall budget, and we'll have to see what happens from there. I think this gets put on the back burner. This feels like eighth grade politics. I, I, I mean, it's the we promised that we're going to have all the Coca-Cola in the lunchroom, and then they can't get the Coca-Cola in the lunchroom, so they you know, oust that guy and they bring in the next person. Yeah, no, there is a uh, there is definitely a juvenile quality to this, um, but um, <clears throat> I mean, and it's it is hard to sort of you know I mean fights over budget have become normal over the past forty years. Unfortunately, shutdowns have become normal over the the past forty years. What's been different this year is two things. One is the combination. One is the uh, the a very slim majority that the Republicans have, meaning they need every single vote um, uh, in order to sustain their majority in the House. And the second is the fact that the, the Republican caucus is bitterly divided. And when you put those two things together, then you have the recipe for what's going on right now. Ironically, if the Republicans had done a better job in the election last year and won 15 more seats, likely this would have been a very normal year, maybe a year with some policy outcomes that I would not have liked, but a year that looked much more normal. Um, the slim majority is a, it plays a big role in where we are right now. Which seems to be indicative of really the voting public. It's incredibly slim. 
Yep, that we are a bitterly divided country, um, and uh, we are a closely divided country. And so the combination of those two things leads to Congress flipping, the presidency flipping, um, the Senate flipping, um, all of those things relatively easily. It leads to slim majorities, which are the case in both houses of Congress. I mean, some of that is the... Uh, the unfairness of the of representation in the Senate, but much of it comes from the bitter divisions that we see um, between uh, between uh, the two sides in the country. And we're not even going to talk about people who are getting indicted or people who may be, you know, under investigation for some, you know, bad behavior in both the House and the Senate. We're not going to bring up those names. We're just going to... You really want to talk about George Santos, do you? And I am not going to let you. I, uh, he is a former congressman and therefore no longer relevant. And now, in a very eighth grade way, being used by other politicians to razz them um, via, you know, other, you know, social media media. So it's, it's eighth grade... It feels very middle school right you now. You can get George Santos to do a cameo for you your can. son. Um, yes, you can. You like. I think Fetterman um, used to. <laughs> as, as someone noted, in uh, we've always said in America that there are second acts. Um, what's changed now is there's not even an intermission. So, not, not even a day. I think it was a day. A day. That's correct. Well, there's there's the positive spin, Stuart. There's always a there's always a you know closed door, open window. You know that's exactly right. <laughs> Yay! Okay, so since we've you know talked about the House and we're not going to talk about the Senate because they have their own long term problems. Um, this kind of pulls us to some kind of scary propositions for 2024. Uh, we have we have a setup. Uh, for the presidential race that kind of feels very deja vu all over again. Um, and <laughs> I know you well, it, it, it should. I mean, we are going to have, barring a medical surprise for either of the two fr uh, likely candidates, um, which is not impossible given they're both of their ages, of course, um, it will again be Donald Trump against President Biden um, running for the presidency. And everyone says they don't want that, um, but the Republicans are going to vote for Trump and Biden is the only viable Democratic candidate. And so into the breach once more, we, um, we, we will see these two candidates slug it out over the course of this year. We have the Republican primaries ahead of us, starting with the Iowa caucuses in almost exactly a month now, January 15th, I believe they are. Um, but it would surprise me very much um, if anything besides a resounding Donald Trump victory um, is, is what we see. I mean, the field has winnowed quite a bit already. There, we are already down to four viable candidates besides Trump, um, Governor Christie, uh, Ambassador Haley, Governor DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Well, um, I just call it's going to be entertaining no matter what. Um, but um, those are our four non-Trump candidates. Um, Ramaswamy will be gone after Iowa. Um, I suspect Christie will be as well. You mean our voice of reason currently? 
<laughs> he uh, he may. That's, that's a snicker. Everybody from New Jersey completely understands. <laughs> he uh, he may drop out um, before uh, New Hampshire to give Haley a better shot because um, that is her one shot. Um, she has to win or come very close to winning New Hampshire um, in order to make this a race. And I would be very surprised if that happens. Um, we should wrap this up on Super Tuesday. Now we should note <laughs> that um, Trump's uh, January 6th trial is still scheduled to occur in March. Um, so the one scenario in which Trump does not get the nomination is that Haley performs well in New Hampshire and or South Carolina, her native state, um, maybe doesn't even win, but well enough to stay in the race. And then uh, something happens at the trial that craters Trump's support. Again, I do not think there's any reason to think that would happen. His supporters seem to be energized mm -hmm. by the charges against him. Indeed, many of them already um, believe January 6th was a false flag operation or something that um, was justified and that the election of 2020 was stolen. And so I don't know that the trial can change any of those views. Um, it does mean, however, that the Republican nominee for president may be a convicted felon by the time the general election starts. Now that's if the trial proceeds in March. Uh, there were some things that happened yesterday that make that a little more likely um, and that it resolves sometime before the Republican convention. But both of those things are possible. And so it may be President Biden versus convict Trump uh, in our uh, in our 2024 election. It's, uh, oh. <laughs> so, so question is, has this has anything, anything like this ever happened before in any way? And a felon can be the president. So yeah, no, a there is no rule against it. Um, there, I mean, the book was called "Not Normal" for a reason. Yeah, um, thanks a lot for that. It was very. We've, uh, we, we've gone from just not normal to uh, to very very nuts. Um, <laughs> Eugene, uh, yeah, that's the title of my next book. Uh, <laughs> Eugene Debs, um, socialist, uh, was a third party candidate who got single digits, but not a triple, not a trivial number of votes. He was in jail uh, during one of his presidential campaigns um, in the 1920s, I wanna say. Um, that's the only precedent for this. There's certainly no precedent for a major party candidate, someone who's very much a viable winner of the election uh, to have, convictions on his record that and is and the scariest part too is the the language that he's using and the people running his campaign are using just flat out utilized language like dictatorship yep. and all those fun synonyms for those who missed it um the sean hannity was actually trying to get trump off the hook he was. He was. Um, and said hey people said you're going to be a dictator if you get elected again 
And Trump didn't want off the hook. He said, well, just on day one. Um, And as I noted on on social media, being a dictator on day one is like that, uh, you know, you get three wishes and you use one of them to give yourself an infinite number of wishes. Um, There are very much plans in place by, not by Trump, because he doesn't sweat the details for sure, but by the people he has surrounded himself with to ensure that those things that were constraints on his power during his first term. Like laws uh, and (laughs) separation of power. Like the media, like the bureaucracy, like the military, um, and like Congress, um, and by his own appointees who generally saw at least the first round of appointees saw their role as keeping him in check that those will not uh that those appointees will not be there in term two and there are plans to neuter the civil service um to take control of the military um and largely to uh if if possible ignore the courts and congress that doesn't mean all those things will happen Uh, There were a lot of fears in 2017, and I certainly had some of them. Institutions rose up and did resist and did, for all the insanity of those four years, um, we did emerge intact with a new president and with one who was very much as normal as you could get in President Biden. Um, And so those things are still in place and those... uh, those uh, forces of resistance will still be there and will push back against a president with dictatorial ambitions. But many of them were stretched to their limits in 2017 to 2020. And the extent to which they would hold during a second Trump term is unclear. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't say, hey, you know, if Trump wins, give up all hope. Uh, but it is a scary prospect for uh, for democracy in the United States. Yeah, it's not it's not feeling like really great right now, Stuart. <laughs> I mean, you didn't like 2023. Wait till you see 2024. It, I think um, a lot of things that take a long time. You know, policies are written, laws are changed. It takes a little bit of time to see, you know, what the outcome is. Uh, you know, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. I I know you all have seen what's happened in Texas over the last couple weeks. It's just, that's one very small thing and a lot of very big things that could come out of a second presidency. Um, On the other hand, you have Biden, who, as much as I appreciate his normalcy, I think part of his problem is, you know, he's had problems too, like any president. Um, You have inflation. It's tough little bit of a tough economy. Um, you have the border issues. You have Hunter Biden, who doesn't lend to anything great for, for President Biden. Um, and even the ridiculous amount of time they're spending on the impeachment stuff, which should make anybody unhappy, uh, considering all the things we have going on. But what, you know, what can Biden do? And what are the hopes that he has over the next... 12 plus months to get it together. So the challenge is that we are, as we said earlier, a very closely and bitterly divided electorate. 
Um, the presidential election next year will be close no matter what. Um, it will be close if President Biden is the nominee. It will be close if some dream Democrat that everyone thinks exists but really doesn't um, <laughs> were the nominee. It will be close if Donald Trump is the nominee. It will be close if Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis is the nominee. Um, now, in a close election, everything, including who the candidate is, matters, and what the candidate says and does matter. Um, Donald Trump is clearly the weakest Republican candidate. Um, and so if you want to ask what Joe Biden can do to get reelected, if that was the only thing we were trying to optimize, um, hoping that Trump is the nominee um, would be Biden's best path to reelection. Because I know Trump leads Biden in the polls right now, but as hard as it is to believe for those of us that are political junkies, many people have not yet focused on the election. Um, Trump will be very easy to campaign against. Um, all There's the definitely some stuff going on that I think a lot of people are just like, this can't be happening again. I can't yeah. think about that right now. <laughs> um, and so that will, uh, that will help Biden. I think he would be a 50-50 chance against Trump and an underdog against either Haley or DeSantis. But I also think another candidate would not move the needle much from where things are. People are going to vote for the incumbent party or against the incumbent party based on their lives. And inflation is still very real, even though it has come down considerably. Um, it's still very hard to buy a house because interest rates are so high. Um, and there are a lot of things out there that are have people worried, have people concerned. Certainly what's going on in the Middle East and, and other issues, although Americans don't generally vote foreign policy, despite it dominating the headlines at the moment. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be a close election and we have to steal ourselves for that. Well, at least you have a whole bunch of uh, work already done for you for your next book. <laughs> the, the very, very nuts book. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll, I'll, write, I'll write one of the forwards. It's totally fine. I don't know why we're here again. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Reruns never do as well as the... Uh, as, this as feels well like, or, you know, the seasons have gone on too long and the Fonz has jumped the shark. We, we literally yeah. have jumped the shark. Question we, is, has the United States jumped the shark? I think we've jumped the shark. My personal feeling is that we're already to Joni Loves Chachi. We're way <laughs> The well, let's hope our audience is old for this one, Amy, because you're using references that are not going to, my students aren't going to understand. My favorite thing that ever happened was when you referenced Back to the Future, and I think I was the only one who laughed That's at your joke. So it's fine. We're here together, and Gen X is, we're, we're still young at heart. So. There we go. There we go. Well, thank you for coming back, and uh, we will see you again, perhaps, at the end of the primary season. Yeah, I, I definitely will have to check in. Hopefully it'll be a better check-in than this. Yay! Uh, in addition to Amy, a big thank you to Tamara Swedberg and Karen Olson. Have a wonderful holiday season. We will be back in late January, early February with another talk from another expert from the Blaustein School. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>